Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Scale, our new mini-series on the do's and don'ts for rapidly scaling startups. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear a series of conversations with people who've taken their companies through hypergrowth and have lived to tell the tale. This week, we sat down with the CMO of Pluralsight, Heather Zinsack. A former developer turned marketer, Heather's had an incredible career to date. Her experience ranges from prominent software brands such as SAP and Domo to team advisory roles at both startups and prominent consulting firms. Heather joined us to talk about the role of the CMO at a scaling company, when you need to hire one, what to do in your first 60 days, and how to become a trusted partner to the all-important CEO. If you want to hear more episodes from our Scale series, you'll find them on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. But now, let's cut to the chase and hop into the interview with Heather. So Heather, welcome to Inside Intercom. As a quick intro, could you just tell us about your career? How did you get to Pluralsight? Absolutely. So I started out my career as a developer. Um, This was a long time ago, building custom software before there was a lot of packaged softwares for all the functions that companies needed, and then moved over to more of the business side and grew up through product management, product strategy, and then eventually moved to the dark side of marketing. (laughs) And I've worked in Silicon Valley predominantly for some of the world's largest companies, most well-known like SAP and Oracle, and some of the least known, least successful companies as well. I had several dot bombs in that (laughs) era as well. And spent the last almost eight years in lovely Silicon Slopes, which is the Utah tech community, um, where I've been at two different CMO roles. And I'm currently the CMO of Pluralsight. And Pluralsight is a tech skills development platform, helping really bringing tech skills around the globe um, and helping companies understand what tech skills they have in-house and how to make their workforces more skilled on technology. That sounds wonderful and something that's truly needed um, at companies everywhere. (laughs) It sounds like you had a really interesting path to becoming a CMO. You mentioned you started as a developer and then you got into marketing. And then I saw that you went back to Oracle for five years to lead their product strategy. What brought you back to, as you said, the dark side of marketing? Yeah, so uh, I think for me, I never would have been a marketer 20 or honestly, even 15 years ago. Marketing has really transformed in the last 20 years. I'm I'm not a creative. I'm a very left-brained person. I'm extremely analytical. I have a finance MBA at undergrad in accounting and finance. Like I, I'm, I'm very numbers driven and marketing today is very analytical, very data driven. Mm -hmm. When you think about the funnel and conversion rates and digital marketing, it's all extremely analytical. So marketing really appeals to me today. I joke, it's not like the, you know, the TV show Mad Men. Did you ever watch that? Oh yeah. Yeah. So I I love Don Draper. He's a little dreamy, but um, (laughs) I also loved it because it was a time period piece about what marketing was like, Mm. you know, 60, 70 years ago. They had these great creative ideas and they had three martini lunches and slept on their couches. And then maybe nine months later, they would win an award. And today, everything can and should be measured and you know immediately and it's data driven and it's not just about creative. So the transformation of marketing is what lured me into marketing. Very nice. Yeah, I think that's a really nice way to put it. And I think like one of the biggest things that marketers that's an opportunity for marketers everywhere is just understanding how marketing fits into the overall business, right? And how, what's the role in driving that revenue for the organization? And like you said, that requires a lot of analytical skills and a really deep understanding of just business strategy 
in general. So you've been the CMO at two great companies, Domo and Pluralsight. And today, for today's episode, we'd love to talk with you some more about that role of the CMO in the organization and how you see it. How would you define the role of a CMO? You know, the CMO um, has the shortest tenure in the C-suite, and I think that's because it's not as well-defined as it should be. Hmm. I think a lot of companies struggle with what is the value that marketing is supposed to deliver. So I believe the role of marketing is to really understand what the company needs at that point in time and to deliver it. And for, you know, here at Saster, for I'm guessing 99% of the companies here, the most important thing for them right now is revenue. And so for them, the role of the marketer is to help fill the funnel, fill the pipeline, and bring revenue, help get revenue across the line. You know, I've jokingly been called the chief pipeline officer. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how do you, and and there's a lot that goes into that. It's not like all of a sudden you just create a campaign and boom, you have pipeline. It's, you have to really understand, you know, it starts with product marketing and understanding who you're who your target buyers are, what do they care about, what are their watering holes, then is it digital campaigns, is it field in-person focused events, is it how do you really go and get in their watering holes and let them know about you and encourage them to have a conversation, how do you nurture them along the way, just to getting them to the point where they'll talk to a sales rep, there's many, many, many things that go on across the marketing organization that bring you to that point. So what the way I think of marketing, it's what's most vital to the company at that point in time, mm-hmm. and 90 plus percent of the time it's revenue. And so how does marketing really provide value in in revenue generation? That's really interesting because obviously that's a goal that's common to businesses of of any size and any type. And Domo and Pluralsight are clearly two very different businesses in very different industries. You mentioned some similarities that uh, CMO roles have across all types. I would love for you to go into that some more based on your own personal experience. In what roles have the two CMO roles been the same and in what ways have they been different? Okay. So both Domo, the thing that was most different about Domo and Pluralsight with when I was at each company is the stage they were at. Mm. So when I joined Domo, our revenue was zero. So we'd never sold anything. And uh, when I left, we were close to $100 million depending on how you define that, billings, ARR, et cetera. So uh, massive high growth, but starting from ground, literally ground zero. And Pluralsight, when I joined, was already over 100 million in revenue. And they were in the stage of how do we scale this? And so the things that were similar for the two is both companies were really focused on revenue Mm. and how do we drive revenue and how can our marketing organization partner with sales which is an extremely important partnership to drive the ultimate goal of revenue. Each company had really demanding, strong revenue goals, and marketing's role was to partner with sales to fulfill those targets. Um, the way they were different is the stages they were at. Mm. So at Domo, we, we you know we didn't even have a product yet. We were starting everything from scratch. We were, you know, no one knew our name. They knew our CEO because he'd had a company before that. But I came in and there was like three people supposedly on marketing and none of them were marketers. 
<laughs> it was like the three people left at the company that didn't have anything else to do. They were like, hey, we showed up for your team meeting. I'm like, great, you're in marketing. <laughs> um, so it was really about creation hmm. and starting everything from scratch. And we were all about trial and error. And we really used data to understand what's working, what's not working. It was it was truly uncharted territory. Mm-hmm. Pluralsight already had a really successful business, but they'd sold predominantly at that point to uh, developers, to consumers or prosumers, um, whatever term you want to use, individuals, and to either small businesses or small teams within a big business. So at Pluralsight, it was really about building an enterprise motion, and our enterprise growth has been phenomenal. It's been the thing that we've done in the last two and a half years that's just really taken off, but it was, again, partnering with my head of sales to build a world-class enterprise sales team, to build a world-class enterprise marketing motion, to bring the two together, to really get that enterprise go-to-market running. And it was also about taking this large database of consumers that we had that all worked at companies. They all worked at places that we wanted to have business at, Mm -hmm. and they were our Trojan horse. And so the challenge there was, how do we take this Trojan horse and turn it into a large enterprise sales contract? So very different experiences, but the similarities, they were both really focused on revenue goals. So based on those experiences, what would be your advice to someone who's an incoming CMO to a new organization? How do they go about assessing the strengths and the gaps of the organizations that they just inherited? I I think a couple things. Number one, that CMO needs to quickly work with their CEO or their board or their leadership team and understand what's really needed for marketing. Is it pipeline? Mm. Is it retention? Mm -hmm. Is it engagement in the product? What are they expecting? I think this is where most CMOs fail because there's not real clear understanding on what they're expecting marketing to drive. So Mm. the first thing I would say is get really clear. Is it pipeline? Is it pipeline acceleration to revenue? Is it engagement in the product? Is it retention rates with customer marketing? What is it that you're expected to drive so that, that you know? So you can be, if you don't know what you're trying to be successful right. at, right. You, can, you can't be successful. That's the first thing. The second thing I would say is listen. So if you're going into a new organization, um, listen. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I joined Pluralsight, it was already a humming marketing org. And I set up short meetings, 15, 30 minutes with every single marketer in the organization in the first three months I was there. And it wasn't like, you know, they weren't interrogations. Like it wasn't like, tell me what you do for the company. No, I just said, hey, this is your time. You can use it however you want. Tell me something you think I, I should know or something you want me to know. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, it was about their personal life. You know, one one meeting nice. they talked about their their new baby, which was awesome. Um, but other times, I, I learned an invaluable amount about the organization by listening. So the, the second thing I would say is listen. And the third one is really the best way to be successful is to build a data-driven motion. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I started at Pluralsight and I built it from scratch at Domo and I, I sort of built it from scratch at Pluralsight as well, is to figure out, you know, whatever it is that you know you have to, to deliver, your targets, what are the metrics and the data and the systems that I need to make sure that I can actually deliver those? So I, if, if, if I were starting a new CMO gig, I would go in and understand all the reporting, all the data, look at the systems, really try to not just listen to people, but listen to the data as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like you definitely need both to really inform your direction and path. 
And along those lines, it seems like CMOs these days, like they come in, they're frequently charged with a big task of driving some sort of transformation in the organization, perhaps because like marketing in general has changed a lot and is evolving a lot. And CMOs are those leaders that really can bring that organization into the modern marketing era. So how do you initiate change in an organization as a CMO? I think there's two things in initiating change. One is creating a culture where people aren't afraid to fail. Mm. So you're not going to be a change agent or a change maker unless people are willing to try something new and get out of their comfort zone and be okay with failing. And so I think any leader, whether it's the head of marketing or the head of finance or the head of any organization, creating a culture where people are, are empowered to try new things and not afraid of failure, that's really what instigates change. So I think that's one of the most important things as a CMO to be the change agent. And the second thing, a guy that works for me said the other day, he said, Heather, you know, one thing that's great about working for you is you always call the ball. Hmm. And I think, you know, even if I don't know I'm 100% right, I, I need to be the leader that people can see like, hey, this is where we're going. Like, come on, guys, let's go. This is where we're going. Yeah. And so I think you have to have a vision and you have to clearly articulate that vision in order for people to want to join forces with you to bring that vision to reality. Mm-hmm. And in terms of bringing that vision into reality, what is the structure of the modern marketing org these days that that's required or that's needed? How has it evolved over the years, uh, as you alluded to earlier? I think the biggest changes in marketing organizations is is the need for technical skills. So (laughs) I met with my team the other day and we were talking about our MarTech stack and we were reviewing all of the, and I get pretty detailed because I can geek out and we were reviewing all the different applications that we have. We were understanding, you know, where could we shave costs? What were we really using? Which ones we get the most value of? What was everything providing us? And I had, we have 37 applications that we use in marketing. Hmm. And I was like, What? I was like, 37. I was like, oh my God, that's that's a lot of money I could spend on demand gen. And um, <laughs> my my head of this group said, well, actually, serious decisions for our size company, we should have at least 45. <laughs> and I was like, what? 45? So um, I think, you know, the the modern marketer relies on technology. You know, people, mm-hmm. I think the research shows that there's at least seven touch points digitally. before you're willing to talk to somebody. And I mean, think about the last big thing, you know, that you bought, a car, a house. I mean, you go research online, you get emails, you might watch a webinar, you'll download a white paper, you know, whatever it is. Like, it's extremely technically driven. Mm -hmm. And so I think tech skills and tech teams and having the right people, you can't just have the right systems. You have to have the right people. In fact, uh, there's a CMO who I uh, very much respect, and she was switching from one CMO job to another. And I asked her, I said, hey, you know, how'd that go? You know, I asked her, like, what were the negotiations like? And I expected her to talk to me about, oh, I asked for this much more stock or, you know, this much more cash. And I'm, I'm sure she asked for those things. And she said, well, my big sticking point is I wanted 10 more people for my tech team. Hmm. And she said, I wasn't going to take the job unless I got 10 heads that were technically focused. And this is the way modern marketing teams are. And she knew to be successful, she not only needed the tech systems, she needed the people to run them. Mm-hmm. And I think the same can be true without, you know, belaboring the point around data and reporting and analytics. So I think 
the technical aptitude, the analytic aptitude are really important on the current modern marketing team. Yeah, that makes ton of sense. But I also think about the the Don Drapers of prior <laughs> years, right? And what you would tell him <laughs> if you were trying to bring him into, well, you, you know, st- you the marketing need, org. You still need, you need those things too. Like we yeah. have an amazingly, uh, you know, you, you if your marketing campaigns are terrible because your creative is terrible or because your product marketing didn't hit the right audience or you don't have the right message, yep. then you're going to have a bunch of reporting about terrible marketing campaigns. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you need both sides. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe speaking a little bit about that creative side of marketing, that's always been like, you know, the image of marketing. So how do you measure creativity? How do you like justify creative risk? I don't think you can measure creativity. I always joke that it's like the Supreme Court justice said about pornography, like, you know, good creative when you see it, <laughs> you know, so I don't think you can measure good creative. And it's like art. It, it, it gives you, it emotes, uh, emotions that you mm-hmm. would have. So I don't think the goal should be to measure creativity. I also don't think you should do creative for creative sake. Um, it doesn't matter if, an ad that you spend a lot of money on makes people feel good if they don't buy your product. Mm -hmm. So I actually think it goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, really understanding what marketing, what value marketing is trying to deliver to the company and measuring for that. What are the outcomes that you want? Creative is going to be the tool um, to get you there. And then you can take risks that you can measure. So you can take a crazy idea that seems absurd or seems way out there creatively. And I'm I'm the biggest believer in, in really thinking out of the box and doing things that are not the norm um, in, in marketing. And you can measure it. And But I don't think you should do those things just for the sake of being creative. Mm-hmm. You should do them because they make a difference. And I'll, I'll give an example in, you know, not so much, mo- I mean, in modern day, somewhat recent, you know, the, the ads that Nike did, they knew it wasn't just them trying to be creative with Kaepernick. Uh, the, the ads with Colin Kaepernick. Recently. Yeah, yeah, where, you know, they did these ads and it, it people thought, oh, did they just do this to be provocative? Did they just do this to be creative? What, it, was it somebody's political view of the company? No, they, they took a very data-driven approach to that. I read several articles and studies on this. Mm. They understood who their demographic was who bought Nike shoes and Nike apparel, who they wanted to buy more, what they cared about, what would resonate with them, and they went after it. And they Mm -hmm. knew the demographic that they were trying to hit that would resonate with. And their their sales skyrocketed after those ads. So it wasn't creative for creative sake. It was about an outcome, and that outcome was revenue. That's great. Let's talk about the other side of marketing. You mentioned that you have a passion for creating sales pipeline. <laughs> and your sales team was love you for saying that. How have you been able to break down that wall between marketing and sales that's so often talked about in terms of whether it's measurement alignment or processes or tools? What have been effective tactics uh, in your experience? So there's a lot in that question, but the first thing I would throw out there that if you have a wall between sales and marketing, you're failing. So this is why the CMO tenure is short. If you, there is no wall between myself and our CRO. Mm -hmm. We are attached to the hip and we are partners and we are arm in arm on this journey. And one of the reasons I took the position at Pluralsight, one of many, is our CRO, Joe, was interviewing at the same time. And he and I talked on the phone and I made sure that the CRO was somebody that I could work with and partner with because we have a common goal. If he fails, I fail. So his success is my success. Yeah. So if there's a wall between sales and marketing, you've already lost the battle. 
So it needs to be the most integrated partnership. And I would recommend anyone going into marketing, if you're going to have an adversarial relationship with sales, don't take that job. Mm-hmm. You need to go and build a partnership and work together. You have a common goal. It's, you know, it's almost like two parents raising a child. Like you have to be a united team. Yeah. And a couple of the tactics that help along the way is you have to work off the same systems and the same data. Never, ever at Pluralsight do we walk into a meeting where I have different data than the sales team. It's got to be the exact same data. We have to see the and, – and our systems are, and we're completely aligned. So the systems and the data alignment is a is a good tool to help with that. Mm-hmm. How do you bring that farther down into an organization, say, at the ground level? So – amazing that, you know, at the sea level, right, like there's this really uh, coordinated and a great mutual understanding. Um, how do you make sure at the ground level that uh, folks on a sales team and folks on a marketing team also share that same perspective? I think two ways. One, Joe and I were really, in the first year, we made sure we were extremely visible on how well mm. we partnered and worked together. And even if we ever disagreed about something, back to parenting, it's kind of like kids. Like my husband and I ever disagreed about something, we never disagreed in front of our kids. Mm. So even if Joe and I were trying to figure something out, we always were united front. We always we were extremely uh, visible to the whole organization about how this is in partnership. Um, my team runs the majority of our sales kickoff. We determine the content and uh, the speakers and and run all of it. And this is their, that's an example. Like we, we're so integrated, Joe and I are. So that's one way is that the, if you set the example, it goes down. The other way is you have to set in marketing, I've set targets or goals that people are held accountable to. It's part of their bonus structure and their performance reviews that require sales to be bought in. So no one in my organization has a target of top of the funnel pipe, top of the funnel leads. Mm. No, Mm -hmm. that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Or cost per lead at the top of the funnel. They're held accountable for opportunities and the amount of money in the opportunity stage in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And you can only become an opportunity, a prospect can only become an opportunity if a sales rep, an account executive says, yes, I will accept this as pipeline and I'm willing to work this. So my team can't be successful on their OKRs or their performance agreements and and get their full bonus unless they're doing things that the sales team says, yes, this is great. I love how the the metrics are really aligned even at that lower level. Yep. It's the aligning of the metrics. That's a great level. way to say yeah. it. And, and the incentives, mm-hmm. right, for putting the incentives in place for marketers and salespeople to really work together and collaborate versus and it's surprising. thinking about their own uh, Yeah, and when you do that, metrics. so like when you do that, it's amazing the results. So once we moved having everybody accountable to opportunities versus top of the, the funnel when I first came in, all of a sudden now... You have a team that's like, oh, wow, we should sit down with our inside sales team, the SDRs, and make sure they know how to call on these because even if we put good things to the SDRs, they're not going to uh, be able to turn them into opportunities if they can't speak to those people. I'm like, yeah, that's a good idea. They hadn't thought of it before. They just gave, oh, hey, we gave all these great leads to the SDRs. They should be able to call and get get meetings set for our sales reps. And, you know, now it was a whole different mentality because they knew it didn't matter how many leads or how many great leads they gave to the SDRs. Mm -hmm. It mattered did those turn into opportunities and meetings for the sales yeah. reps. It motivates you to think about the end-to-end experience. It does. Yeah. Um, this has been great, Heather. Maybe one last question. Okay. What's your advice to marketers aspiring to be CMOs in the future? 
Oh, wow. That's a tough one. Or perhaps think about what was the transition like for you uh, first time around going from being a VP of marketing to being a CMO? I, th- I think there's, for, for people aspiring to be a CMO, I think there's many different paths to get there. You can come up through the creative side. You can come up through demand gen, through digital. You can come up through product and engineering like I did, through product marketing. There's a ton of paths to the CMO. It's not as obvious. It's more like a jungle gym versus a a ladder. You can move back and forth and side to side before you get to the top. Um, So I would encourage people to take risks, try new roles, do something that constantly challenges you. Because like carrying a sales quota for a while is amazing experience Mm -hmm. for being a CMO. For me, building product was an amazing experience because I understood what it takes to get something out when we're launching a product. So I would really encourage people to not be afraid to fail and try new things. And I think that's, you know, being the most well-rounded CMO, it's not a straight path. So try different things. That would be the best advice I could give. I love that. Thank you so much, Heather. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more interviews, go to intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Inside Intercom. Inside Intercom.